Broadway for Tuesday, February 5th, 2018. I'm Broadway World's Matt Tamanini. And I am Broadway star's James Marino. James, uh, we promised yesterday that on today's show we would get into all the greatness that was Skittles commercial, the musical. We're going to do that at the end of the episode. We're going to bring back Oliver Henry Roth. Uh, He was in attendance at the town hall for this one time only musical. And James, correct me if I'm wrong. I didn't see it. They they didn't do a commercial of any sort during the actual Super Bowl. So they were very coy about that, um, whether it would actually be 30 seconds in a spot on the Super Bowl or not. And I don't think I saw anything. Did you? I, I did not. And I thought maybe I missed it. And then I searched high and low for it. And I didn't really yeah. see anything. Uh, did they actually say Super Bowl or did they say the big game or? Well, in, in, in all of the press releases, they didn't actually say the Super Bowl, but they and they never said they would be doing it they would be doing a commercial, but I kind of just assumed that they would do something like they did the previous year. Like I think they alluded to it. Um, but what I thought they would do something like they did last year where they made a commercial for one person and then showed a commercial of that person watching the commercial. So I thought we would get some sort of ridiculous highlight package. Um, but apparently that's not the case unless I missed it. I got to be honest with you. The Super Bowl was so boring. I dozed off at times. Um, so maybe I missed it, but I don't think I did cause I haven't seen anything, uh, on, on Monday. Okay. So, uh, we're having some breaking news from Variety, uh, as we're recording. Tell us about this, Matt. Um, well, James, I, I, you know, we like to joke that with all of my charts and stuff that my predictions, uh, when I do them, I am Miss Cleo. However, uh, on Sunday, January 27th of 2019, in the year of our Lord, 2019, at 9.39 p.m., James Marino tweeted, and thus endeth the period of musicals on network TV. Hashtag rent live. Well, James, you were a bit prophetic because Variety, as we're recording, just released an article that says NBC's live staging of hair pulled from the schedule. Uh, according to uh, Variety's article, Paul uh, Telegdi and George Cheeks, the co-chairman of NBC Entertainment, replacing Bob Greenblatt, who we've mentioned a couple times in relationship with these things, said, quote, live musicals are a part of this network's DNA, and we are committed to continuing that tradition with the right show at the right time. Since these shows are such enormous undertakings, we need titles that have a widespread appeal, and we're in the process of acquiring the rights to a couple of new shows that we're really excited about. The article goes on to say, uh, according to some sources, uh, some unnamed sources with knowledge of the decision, quote, NBC is not completely abandoning live musicals, but will no longer plan on airing them as regularly as they have in the past. Of course, this comes on the heels of really you know, overall bad ratings uh, in in relationship to um, all of the previous ones from Rent. Now, I argued that that was to be expected, considering that Rent was the first one that was not really family oriented in one way or another, or at least uh, kid oriented in, in some shape or fashion. But the 18 to 49 demo was actually still pretty good. It had 3.4 million viewers, um, which is is you know, fairly decent uh, for something of this size. However, it was probably incredibly expensive. So it is no surprise that um, it gave the folks over at NBC with a similar property, I might say, um, a bit of pause. Of course, we previously know that they have announced stage adapta- um, screen adaptations of A Few Good Men and Bye Bye Birdie, and those have kind of been shelved 
um, for, you know, whatever reasons and forever indeterminate amount of times, James. But um, I'm hoping that this does not completely end seeing musicals on TV, but it is not looking good. Yeah, um, I, I can imagine that uh, some network executives got cold feet when they saw the rent ratings. Uh, and so we'll have to let this play out. But I, for some of these statements is very uh, Orwellian speak there. Uh, yeah. the, the fact that we weren't don't plan to play these as regularly as as regular they, once a year is, is i mean yeah. so it's like going to be maybe once every few years every um, few or something years. like that if so if it ends up on a different nbc property as the network splinter off into uh yeah. it, different channels and things like that uh you know who knows what's 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 going to happen there but I mean, I always, yeah, I always thought Hair was a weird idea for a musical on network television anyway. But, you know, I think that's part of the problem, too. Hmm. Okay, well, uh, maybe we'll hear more about this and we can bring an update, uh, you know, tomorrow. The band's visit announces a spring closing. Yeah, James, um, we had talked about this being on the watch list uh, for the last few weeks in Gerses, but I honestly thought that it would make it through this summer. It's especially since they had, according to pretty reliable sources, uh, cast Carmen Cusack to replace Katrina Link, something that I've been teasing for a while, waiting for them to announce it. And apparently that announcement will never come. Uh, anyway, the Tony winning show will end its Broadway run at the Ethel Barrymore Theater on April 7th, having played 625 total performances. Uh, the show recouped on Broadway. It's a $8.5 million investment, I believe, in just 11 months uh, when it uh, announced its recoupment back in September, which is honestly one reason that I was surprised that it was announcing closing before it even got to the summer. You know, normally the spring Tony season is tough on shows that aren't from this season. But you would have thought that get back into the, the the heat of the tourist season that they could have done pretty well during the summer, especially having already recouped. So I'm a little surprised. But anyway, James, that means that we have another house open. And since it is a Schubert house, this could be a home for Frankie and Johnny. Although, you know, if an off-Broadway show wanted to jump into this season at the last minute and the set and the tech was pretty simple, they could theoretically do it. Um, it would be insanely tight, but it would be possible, say, if a girl wanted to rush into New York from the North Country, it might be the only shot that a show gets on Broadway before its window closes. But to me, James, that would be pretty crazy, wouldn't it, uh, for a show to have at best a week and a half of previews after the band's visit loads out? They load in, they tech, it It would be pretty close uh, to that Tony eligibility deadline, which uh, this year falls on uh, Thursday, April 25th. I can't imagine that they're going to try to shoehorn a show in there. Plus, the band's visit, a Tony Award winner, popular. Is there, Are they giving themselves some runway to extend a few times? Could. Could. I... I I don't see the, the what was interesting about the press release and um, let me pull it up here, James, is that the producer said basically said they wanted to go out while the show was still in good shape with most of the original cast and they didn't want it to 
um, you know, to have the feeling of a failure uh, if it ended up, you know, getting down below 500 and, and started doing, um, you know, some really, you know, sub break even numbers. So it, it seems to me that they're content with closing at this point. Um, it's it's a, an interesting pr- producing move, although the show will go out on tour. So maybe they save some money by reusing the set or maybe some of the cast members will stick with it. But um, I don't, I would, I I would be surprised if it extends, but nothing surprises me at this point. Likewise, it would not surprise me if, uh, you know, an off Broadway show that, you know, and I say an off Broadway show because that it it would have already had the benefit of having designed sets and a cast and all that stuff jumping in at the last minute either. So who knows? It would be very odd if um, both the Lunt and uh, um, the Hirschfeld and the Barrymore were all empty come May uh, without anything jumping into those theaters. But we'll we'll have to wait and see. All right. It shall all become clear to us, Miss Cleo. It shall all become clear. <laughs> maybe, although I've been I've been wrong the last few times, so maybe not. All right, uh, so we have some interesting uh, casting news here with uh, some people joining All My Sons. Uh, yes, if you are hearing this, that means that it is after 8.30 in the a.m. New York time, and the Roundabout Theater Company has officially announced additional casting for their upcoming Broadway revival of Arthur Miller's All My Sons, starring Annette Benning and Tracy Letts. Now, you'll remember the last time that we discussed this production was in December, When the originally announced director, Tony winner Gregory Mosher, departed the production because the Miller estate refused to approve his request to cast two black actors as siblings in roles normally played by white actors. Well, it was never confirmed, uh, but I assumed that 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 meant that they would be the actors playing Anne and George Deaver. At the time, Roundabout said, quote, despite our shared commitment to having a diverse cast and our production of All My Sons, Gregory Mosher and the Arthur Miller estate did not ultimately share the same vision of how best to achieve that. Uh, Arthur Miller's daughter, I believe, actually said that his um, uh, his casting ideas were not well thought out, um, which is kind of slap in the face. But anyway, let's table that for a second. We're going to come back to it because in the cast will be bloody, bloody Benjamin Walker as Chris Keller, Francesca Carpanini as Ann Deaver, Hampton Fluker as her brother, George, keep that in mind. Michael Hayden as Dr. Bayless, Jenny Barber as Lydia Luby, Nihal Joshi as Frank Luby and Chinasa Ogbayagu as Sue Bayless. Now, if you are if you are familiar with some of these performers, you will know that there are a handful of performers of color included. Most notably, at least to me, is that while Ann Deaver will be played by a white actress, her brother George will be played by an actor of color. Now, James, while I don't necessarily agree with this viewpoint from the Arthur Miller estate, I could see their perspective being that they're comfortable with casting this show this production from a colorblind perspective. We're having a variety of of races across the cast, although uh, the main three characters or four characters actually are all white, but that's, you know, beside the point here. But they're okay with colorblind casting for some of the things. But by casting two siblings uh, with black performers would, um, I think in, from this point of view, change the narrative of who those characters are and the relationships that they have with other characters while doing it 
colorblind, it doesn't necessarily do the same thing because race is not as important when you have, um, you know, blood relatives not of the same race. Um, so I can understand that. I don't agree with it. Um, I, I would have loved to have seen who Mosher would have cast and and what his perspective would have been. Uh, but anyway, the show begins performances at the American Airlines Theater on April 4th. I, I'm not sure I agree with any of that, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Again, that was not, I'm, that was not my feel, perspective. Yeah. I was just no, saying no, yeah. I can see where the... Uh, what the Miller's estate's point of view on this topic could have been maybe we all read too deeply into it and the miller estate just really had a disagreement over uh the concept of the direct director maybe it had nothing to do with the colorblind casting uh, or i don't know i I, yeah well the the statement from rebecca miller who is the uh, arthur miller's daughter she said i'm very excited to open my father's work up to diverse casting hence an african-american loman family and marion elliott's upcoming death of a salesman in london and rachel chapkin's upcoming multiracial the american clock so she's she's the one who said that their disagreement had to do uh, along racial lines in terms of casting. We don't exactly know what that is other than the Washington Post's report that it had to do with casting black actors as siblings. So uh, we did des- definitely read some things into it. But if I had to guess, I-, I would I would think that what Rebecca Miller's perspective is, is that casting the Deaver siblings as as being black changes their relationship with um uh, well, with with everybody else, but especially uh, with the Keller family. And I think that might have some sort of power dynamics, especially set during World War Two or shortly thereafter that they did not approve of and they thought changed the tone of the story. While if you did it with, you know, a multitude of races across multiple families, so to speak, in the show was a le- little easier to swallow because it didn't impact the narrative of the show itself quite as much. I think these estates are nuts. <laughs> They're totally yeah. nuts. It, it's not like this is the first production of this. And uh, anyway. yeah, well, I mean, it's 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 this it's it's very similar to um, the, the, what the Albia estate did a, a year yeah. or two ago, where they have, are on record and have had productions of 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 Albie's shows when he was alive and after he died, where cast members have been or when uh, characters have been played by cast members of color and it, it, the one that they did not allow, which I believe was up in Portland or something, they did, they just didn't like the construction of it and how they thought. Um, and I can't remember the one the boyfriend's name in um, who's afraid of Virginia Wolf. They thought by making him the only uh, black performer changed the story, um, especially because he is specifically referenced as being Aryan uh, in in this in in the script. So I, I understand where they're coming from, but I also think that there's so much artistic value to opening up these well-known works um, yeah. to these type of interpretations that can actually add more depth and more nuance to what the playwrights wrote just by signaling um, a unique historic power structure, especially in these things that aren't set within the past 10, 15, 20 years. I go back to my statement, these estates are nuts. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. Uh, what do we have in last week's Broadway Grosses? Uh, not much, James. 
Yeah. Uh, they're bad. They're pretty bad. They were they were polar vortex bad. Um, so I'm going <laughs> to keep, I'm going to keep these pretty short, um, so we don't have to you know belabor these too much. But only one show. True West saw week to week gain, and that's because the previous week was its opening um, as Broadway dipped 11.57 percent to come in at twenty six point five million dollars. Hamilton was at three was at three point one three million and only eight shows were above one million. None of them above two million other than Hamilton. They started out with Cursed Child at one point nine three, then The Lion King, To Kill a Mockingbird, Wicked, Frozen, Dear Evan Hansen, Aladdin, and Network, which did it on seven performances. We know the band's visit is closing, but the other shows on the watch list also obviously didn't have a great week. The Prom dipped more than 67K to come in at 500,000. Anastasia dropped almost 77K to come in at 509,000. Beautiful and King Kong both fell over 100K, beautiful to 563,000, and King Kong to 650K. James, it was cold. It was the dead of winter. It's always a bad time for Broadway. This sucks, but it's not completely unexpected. Absolutely. And uh, it not only, not only was it cold, but there seemed to be a shortage of news, so all the news was about how cold it was. Everywhere, and it's a psychological factor for people who, you know, uh, let's not go to the theater tonight. They say we're going to die. Well, and and any tourists that might have been coming in might not have been able to get in because of how cold it was. Yeah. So uh, while it was uh, a big dip uh, week to week, do you have a a year of a year comparison? It's hard to match up the weeks, especially. Yeah, yeah it, it is hard to match up the weeks. Um, but like I said, it was an 11.57% uh, week-to-week dip, but it was actually up uh, 6.61%, uh, so a little less than $2 million. However, there was one extra show playing this year than the equivalent week last year. Uh, but again, the way holidays fall and stuff, it's really hard to match yeah. these things up, um, especially early in the year. But um, because there's so many holidays jam packed uh, in there. But, um, you know, for the most part, stayed fairly steady if you subtract the fact that one extra show was playing this week as opposed to last year. Yeah. National Ice Cream Day. It's always National Ice Cream Day with you. <laughs> All right. What do we have in the recommendation section? Okay, I've got two things. First up, um, apparently Rent Live was not enough uh, because Anthony Rapp has brought a new uh, Rent song into the consciousness of many a pop culture nerds within a very specific Venn diagram overlap. As people probably know, Anthony Rapp is a cast member on the CBS All Access streaming show Star Trek Discovery along with uh, Wilson Cruz, another Rent um, alum as well. Um, but uh, Anthony and some of his castmates from uh, Discovery did a Rent parody, um, which is seemingly, I've never seen this show, but seemingly on the set, um, or at least a, a reasonable facsimile of the set uh, for uh, Star Trek Discovery. So check that out. We'll leave that in the in the show notes. And then also the New York Times, uh, Michael Paulson had a really interesting article about how the uh, the song She Used to Be Mine from Waitress, the 11 o'clock number, is kind of becoming more than just a show tune and transcending into uh, a standard. How a ton of people from all walks of life, both performers 
and um, and just fans are doing their own performances of this. Uh, and it's really interesting talking about how artists from, you know, Heather Headley to um, Jennifer Nettles and all these other folks are doing it in their acts. Um, so I think it's really interesting uh, to take a look at. And they link in some videos from folks all across the spectrum, including Ben Platt, uh, a 14 year old doing a 14 year old boy uh, doing a performance of the song. And I think it's really interesting because that uh, it's been a long time since a, a Broadway song has turned into a standard. Uh, and if anyone's going to write the next show tune to standard, I think Sarah Bareilles very might well be the one. All right. What do we have in show and casting news? Okay, yesterday, uh, producer Ken Davenport announced that he had secured the stage rights to Harry Belafonte's life story. Of course, no team, cast, or timeline has been announced, but uh, for all the jokes we tend to make on uh, Ken Davenport's expense, I honestly think this is a fantastic idea for musical James. Harry Belafonte is such uh, an interesting human and has had such an eclectic and 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 rich and diverse life that I think that this could really have the the potential to be a fantastic show. And I hope they do this well. The only thing I also hope is that uh, it happens soon enough so that Andre DeShields can play Harry, because uh, that seems like perfect casting to me. Which Harry would uh, he play? Would he play one of the three Harrys? <laughs> yes, there, there would be three to five Harrys. He would be uh, the elder statesman. He would be he would be activist Harry. Let's He'd go be Harry Potter or Harry Connick and no. <laughs> That's very good, actually. Uh, yeah. Anyway, okay, next up. Uh, thanks to some massive billboards and new key art, rumors are swirling that a British actress named Lucy Jones will be taking over as Jenna in Waitress on Broadway following Stephanie Torn's three-week run in the show opposite Joey McIntyre. While nothing has been confirmed by the Broadway press agents, apparently it is Jones's face with McIntyre's all over Times Square all over their new key art, including discount mailings that have been sent out by Ticketmaster. Now, James, I have never heard of Lucy Jones uh, before until I saw this uh, popping around social media. And uh, but apparently people who know her say that is very much her. I I guess I can go along with it. To me, it, it looks like a you know, a stock photo brunette that I wouldn't have necessarily been able to pick out. But Lucy Jones is apparently a regular working UK musical theater actress, but not really a star. So it seems very weird that she would be the new Jenna. And the only reason that I'm going to give this a little bit more credence though, is because when I searched her name on Broadway world, as I was kind of going through, um, there's a picture of her backstage with Sarah Bareilles, Gavin Creel and Carol King from January of this year. So uh, it seems like all these pieces are lining up. It is a bizarre uh, casting thing to me, especially because she's not really a British star uh, to bring her over when the show usually needs stars in that role. But I guess we'll see if and when a casting announcement is finally released. But speaking of casting announcements, yesterday they finally announced the remainder of the company for the February 18th concert production of The Scarlet Pimpernel. Joining the previously announced stars will be a group including uh, Alicia Deslero, Kevin Duda, John Tracy Egan, Piragua Guy, Alicio Roman, and Alex Newell. Uh, finally, yesterday, Theater for a New Audience announced that they would be bringing back Jackie Sibley's Drury's Fairview to New York for a summer run June 2nd. Through the 30th, we mentioned this show uh, and the playwright yesterday. Uh, this is one that if you missed it the first time, I believe is at Soho Rep. Uh, definitely get a chance to see this at theater for a new audience. 
All right. Drum roll, please. Let's bring back our friend Oliver Henry Roth to recap the Skittles commercial, The Musical. All right, Oliver. I have avoided all spoilers <laughs> because of this. There's a there's an article that I'm waiting to read from American Theater um, where they had Deep Tran and uh, another one of their editors, I can't remember who it was, um, who were there. They were like giving it a review, but I didn't want to do anything Skittles commercial, the musical related until we heard from you. So Sorry. big picture. Yeah. What did you think before we get into like the specifics? Yeah. Just overall, how would you define this experience? So I, I loved it. Um, I thought it was great. I thought it was very weird though. Um, and I don't mean weird the way that most people will tell you that it, that they mean like, I think a lot of people will say it was weird because it was a will, you know, script and it was just, but I meant kind of conceptually yeah. weird. Um, but and like I found myself leaving trying to think of, you know, and when I was on the show uh, last week or two weeks ago, trying to sort of figure out what this meant, why they do. And like I was hoping maybe being there, I would have some more answers. Um, I think maybe I do have a few answers, but I I left sort of being like, why? Um, but I did. I, I mean, I think you'll get some mixed. I, I haven't actually read. I saw a lot of press, and we'll talk about that in a second. I did see a lot of a lot of press. I haven't read any of the stories yet, um, but um, so I, but like I know you know from talking to other people who were there and who um, people sort of have mixed feelings. I loved it. I think Will Eno is just such a great hilarious writer. I was cracking up. The person who I was with mentioned that he thought that only I and the children sitting behind us were cracking up. So maybe, um, <laughs> maybe it's just, but, 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 um, I found it quite funny. It was really corny, but it was very self-aware. Um, I don't know. Did I, I probably went too specific to answer your question. No, that's perfect. Um, so, so can you give us a, I, I saw a picture of Michael C. Hall dressed like a character from cats. Correct. Yeah. So can you give us just like, uh, an elevator pitch, what the plot of this uh, thing was? I saw yes. pictures of the set, like it was set in a bodega or a convenience yep. store. Yeah. Um, and he was dressed as a cat, but that's all I know. So, I mean, if you listen through the, um, the music, which is on like Spotify, iTunes, uh, you'll get pretty much the thing. It was three, uh, it was, um, I'll call it four scenes, three, but three of the scenes were the numbers. Uh, uh, plot is Michael Z. Hall is dressed as a cat, walks into a bodega, gets recognized. Uh, you know, inevitably the question why you dressed up like a cat comes up and he's supposed to be doing a, a Skittles commercial. Um, and then uh, there's a, a first production number that uh, uh, you can listen to. It's called um, – this might have been a bad idea. Uh, it's my favorite of the, of the number, you know, <laughs> contemplating whether or not it was a good idea for him to do this in his career. Um, and then, and then sort of in, in, in sort of in very, I don't know if this is Skittles brand, but I know this is like, I thought William did a great job. It, it, so it totally blows up and becomes so soft referential and so, and so, so then, um, then, uh, the, the feature itself, I, I mean, I'm going to give spoilers away, but since no, since this isn't a thing you can go see, uh, which we'll talk again about a little later, I think, I hope that's okay. Do I have the go yeah. ahead from you? Yeah, 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 of course. So, uh, actors all over the audience then have a comp, have like a, 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 like sort of start a riot and start yelling at Michael and conversing with Michael about the fact that this whole thing is so stupid and why are they here? Uh, that part ends with them running, uh, like uh, with all those actors leaving the theater, the house that's coming up, the curtain coming down for like, and like a long, awkward pause where you're like, do I leave now or not? Um, and 
then the curtain comes back up with a with sort of a drape of the outside of town hall and those actors that had left. And the next scene takes place. Basically, it's those upset audience members outside uh, confronting <laughs> a, a Michael C. Hall leaving the stage door now just plainly. Um, so that scene, like, uh, I guess, three. Uh, and that's another production number. And then uh, uh, they the angry mob kills Michael C. Hall. And they're and then we're back in the store. Uh, we're sort of in the we're sort of in the afterlife, and then the set store. And there's the the last production number, uh, which is like this definitely was a bad idea. Uh, if you listen to the album, you'll note like there's a Drew uh, um, Gaspar did a great job sort of playing with musical tropes. There's definitely a reference to to Jeremy Hansen in that last number. I think that there the beginning is sort of it sounds very much to me like um, the end of the uh, actually it's it's the, that's passing and paul too uh the end the the from now on from um greatest showman like but i feel like i feel like there's some like play with other um with musical theater like type things and musically and it's certainly the different hansen one is very very deliberate um if you listen to the album but um the other one might not might have been inadvertent but uh that's plot plot that's what happened plot wise okay so yeah i think what's so interesting about this is is that this is something that they obviously spent a lot of time on, a lot yeah, of money on. Of money, yeah. And no one is ever going to see this uh, again. And I think, you know, we've talked about before about how they did the Super Bowl commercial and showed it to one person last year um, and then did a commercial of that person watching Which it. Skittles did that? Yes. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. So they are very much into these weird ideas. Yeah. But from your perspective, you and I think you were kind of referencing this when you were talking about it. What do you think of this idea is like in terms of a marketing idea? Because like you said, they are getting a lot of attention because of this thing that literally nobody will ever see again. I don't think that NBC is going to option Skittles yeah. commercial. The musical as their next live event. So, right. So here's, here's what I think. I, I, and this is all like the last time I was on here talking about this, this is all conjecture, but this is, this is a producer's perspective, uh, not Ken's producer's perspective, but my perspective on sort of what would <laughs> be going on here. Um, okay. First of all, I, I just want to first say, I know I do believe that no one's ever going to see this because they've said it. That said, I was in the orchestra and in the orchestra alone, there were three heavy duty cameras. And so I sort of am like, what's going on there? Um, maybe maybe they just wanted it for pros- uh, posterity and maybe like maybe ten, I don't know, maybe it'll be in the Lincoln Center. Um, I mean, I actually at one point <laughs> I really did think maybe maybe they, they're going to put this in Lincoln Center and, the, you know, the video archives of, of shows because they want it to be like, you know, seen as a one night. I mean, I don't know why else there were cameras. Um, they certainly weren't, they certainly weren't directed. The, the actors weren't directed with the cameras in mind. I don't think, I think the cameraman had to do most of the work. So I don't think it was, is going to be, I don't think they're going to surprise us with a video of it. Um, and you don't, and you don't think this was part of, like, I would have just assumed they were Skittles doing something for some sort of, cause they, you know, they've released a lot of, you know, social media videos ahead of well, time. That's, yes. I do think I, yeah, I do think maybe a lot of it was like, I think we'll see some gifts uh, on Instagram or something. Um, that That's probably what it is. Right. And maybe even a YouTube clip. Uh, but it seems that they don't want it. But I think, you know, I, I thought about it more and more and I was like, okay, what's going on here? First of all, they did get a lot of press. They got, obviously we're talking about it. The Broadway community is talking about it. Um, 
the ad community, like the, like a lot of the press I saw today was from people in the ad world being uh, in the marketing world and the, you know the, the just sort of talking about the fact that it happened. I think it created buzz in in industry, which um, you know is a is a cool thing. I think it was just buzz. And the last thing is you know. Look, I think they spent uh, several million dollars on this production, is what I would say. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, the production value was okay. I mean, I, I would say it was like a well, a very, you know, very well funded college theater. Um, uh, the sound wasn't the sound. The sound wasn't great, but that was pretty much about it. The creatives, as we said last time, were top notch. Uh, and Michael C. Hall, you know, was basically doing an ad, so I think, I'm pretty sure he was compensated very well too. So mm-hmm. this wasn't cheap. Um, and neither is a Super Bowl ad, and I think that their that their thought is, uh, look, uh, I, personally, as someone who I was at um, a show during the Super Bowl, um, uh, which I've now done twice, and even though I grew up like watching Super Bowl every year, I, I think in general viewership has gone down, and certainly. At, like the importance of ads, like you just see it, you see that the ads aren't as good anymore as they used to be. Um, so people like the, these companies are definitely trying to find ways to spend their money elsewhere or to just like, I think it's, I think that the Super Bowl ads and I go again, I'm not coming from a, a background where I really, but I just think they're not worth the $5 million for one 30 second spot that they used to be for these companies. That's why they're like, well, you know what? We already have this 30 second spot. Let's just spend the the you know, the millions of dollars to get it up there, but not to produce it. I think that Skittles is looking at this as like, what do we, what, what do we do? We put together a one night only thing. I bought a pack of Skittles after it. First of all, yeah. uh, I, like, I, I, I was like, so <laughs> craving it. Um, people are going to talk about it in all sorts of realms, right? And, and like Skittles is going to be talked about in a way that it just wouldn't have been talked about before. And in a way that no other brand on this day is going to be talked about, right? Like, like a great, first of all, uh, most of the Super Bowl ads are, are hidden under, you know, there's just so much competition, but they own an entire sphere of conversation. The theater industry and the like mixed meat, like we're all talking about it. And I haven't heard of one person talking about a Super Bowl ad. And if they are talking about one or two, they're talking about one or two. And Skittles could have, you know, would have rolled the dice on whether they were that one or two. The second thing is yeah. it was a Broadway Cares Equity Fights AIDS benefit. So I bet that most, if not all, of the millions of dollars that they spent were came out of their deductible, you know, contributions to oh, uh, yeah. to, you know, a charitable benefit. Like they, they basically threw a benefit for Broadway Cares. So I sort of think what they thought was. If I'm going to spend millions of dollars on an ad that might get people's attention in an age where 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 so many more people are watching these things, you know, fewer people have cable, so there's more viewing parties, so there's more online. It's like why not just spend that money in a crazy way that will definitely get some people talking about us and will raise some money for charity. So I think that's what it was, um, and it's that's that's what's so strange to me is like, but. I mean, I would just feel like if I was them, I'd be like, but let's film it and we'll put it online or but let's film it and we'll look broadly right. the air, you know. Um, and it does. I think that they were I think that they were like and I don't know that that would have detracted from it. But, I, you know, but maybe the other thing I thought is that I wonder it was a broadcast equity fight aid benefit. I wonder if there uh, if there is an equity reason why they're not. Uh, doing anything with the video, I wonder if it like would have gone from however many million to many more millions if they did it. Um, that's what I think is going on here. I don't know. That was just my ramblings about what I what I got from sitting through it. Well, that's that's super interesting. That I didn't even think about the fact that yes, it 
you know, the ticket sales and a matching donation are going to Broadway Cares. It, it does make you wonder if the Mars Corporation took a lot of the money from or for this from a different line item in their budget rather than something that would normally be allocated for marketing and advertising. That That's really interesting. And I do wonder if it would have uh, the equity issues and the the union issues above and beyond what they would have to do for SAG after or something played a part into whether or not it's released in full or not. So uh, those are great perspectives that I would not have thought about, which is why we have we brought you on uh, to talk about it. But um, I'm, I'm interested. I have not listened to, I guess, the cast album. Uh, so yeah. I'll have to and I don't I don't have Spotify, but I'll, I'll download it just to find it because I haven't seen it anywhere else because this seems all kinds of bonkers. And I'm I'm totally here for bonkers new ideas. Yeah, I mean, you know, and they also got the cast album out of it, right, which is like a brand, right? Like a huge multinational brand that has like this like wacky, you know, Drew Gasparini like written and like, you know, Michael C. Hall sung cast album, uh, which like I actually listened to a few times in the, in the last few weeks. So, yeah, you know, it's like, I just think it's, and I just think it's, um, I think they're just, they're just, you know, if we're, if we're going to spend this money, why not do it in a way that, is uh, out there, which I think was the intent of Super Bowl ads at one point. Oliver, let me ask you a yeah. question. You may or may not know this answer. Uh, so Superstar and Rent Live that just passed, they were under some sort of SAG contract, weren't they? Uh, I don't know the answer to that, but I would imagine because they were – yeah, I would imagine. I mean, they, they to me, it doesn't seem like that would be the realm of equity. I, I could be wrong, though. Did equity get involved in that? I don't I don't know. So I'm wondering if they reversed it out, the thing at Town Hall, if they were under SAG contract and just happened to have a live audience like Rent or Grease or things like that, if they could, you know, mm-hmm. if it changes that equation. Yeah, I, don't, I mean, my my instinct is, uh, I know I don't know for certain, but if because you're town hall is not a, really a legit house, so right, right, that's no, that's true. Um, but it is, but but the thing is that it, they are they are were equity actors. It was an equity benefit, and it was a live thing done for a live audience, which would for me would say, okay, equity might get involved. Um, you know, I mean, it's a different thing because it's different producers. But but for to me, if it's not being filmed, if it's for a live audience, and if there's equity actors, and if it's that like that's an equity thing. Um, is my yeah, guess. because if the int- because if the intention was never to show it, I don't I don't know how it would fall under a Screen Actors Guild right. contract. You know, because if if the if they are being honest about their intentions with this, it's not going to be released. Then I don't. Yeah, I, it's, it's a super interesting thing, and like everything to do with Skittles commercial, the musical, we don't really know because everything is shrouded in some sort of weirdo uh, mystery. Which it sounds like it worked, at least from your perspective. Is there any chance that, given the bad karma around the NFL this year, that Skittles just didn't want to? You know, they they socially decided to bypass the whole big game. I, I'm going to jump in here as yeah, jump as, the, as a sports fan. I I don't think that that's true at all because um, aside from these um, these ratings for this Super Bowl being down, that's more to do with the fact that the Patriots are the most hated team in the NFL, and there are literally 
a grand total of two dozen Los Angeles Rams fans in the country. Um, the, the, <laughs> well, I'm not really the, talking about ratings per well, se. I know, I know. Well, I know. But the, my point is, is that aside from that, ratings for the NFL have been up year over year uh, for the last couple of years. So while there has been a lot of social controversy ar- around the NFL, people are still watching. Um, it's It's very similar to that. You know, to all like the the Hamilton boycotts, people can say they're boycotting and either a they had no intention of watching or going in the first place and b a lot of the people who say it don't actually do it. Um, so the they they might have been taking a social stance, but I would be shocked because their corporate sibling M&Ms had a commercial uh, in the in the Super Bowl as well. OK. All right. So, uh, just like everything else, we talked about it, and I know less after we talked about <laughs> it. <laughs> it, it it's, it, I think that's just what it is. You know, it's, it's, it, it was, I think it was, and I, I actually learned a lot about, about skills and their brand in this because I'm, I'm not someone who watches a ton of TV, so I don't see how they're advertising, but like, they're, but I do remember even from childhood, like, they're, uh, they're all about, they're sort of like out there and wacky and, I think that's I think that's what it is. I think and I think it's about confusing us and about making us talk about it. So I think that that's that, that's the reaction they're going for, James. Well, I'm just saying one of the commercials that pops to my head from Skittles is like these two high school kids getting ready to like what we think is make out under the bleachers. And what it actually is, is the girl pulling Skittles off the guy's face because he has some disease that puts Skittles on his face and she's eating them. It's weird. They do weird commercial stuff. I think this makes complete sense um but james i'm going to segue real quick we didn't mention this at the top Mm -hmm. of the show but if you've made it this far we've got a special surprise for you come back and listen to us at 8 30 in the morning and there might be a new version of this episode in your feeds Hmm. all right and that's the last word all right matt why don't you get us out of here All right. Thanks for listening to Today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Broadway Radio. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at BWWMAT. And my name is James Marino from BroadwayRadio.com and BroadwayStars.com. Thanks for spending some of your Tuesday with us. And Matt and I will be back and talk with you tomorrow. 